Hey you, good afternoon, welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Show for the 27th of November 2023. My name is Richie Allen, otherwise known as the BBG. That's and cogs and soul for today, that's and cogs, but we've got each other, we've got each other. Uncensored, unfiltered, you're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, this hour, I'll be joined. Well, in fact, I recorded him earlier on. Ben Gilroy is a politician, a human rights campaigner, and a free speech absolutist. He is a lot of things. Caught up with Ben earlier on, we discussed the riot in Dublin last Thursday and the issues around that so don't miss that Ben Gilroy on the programme today a little bit later on live on the show I've invited Dr Jane Dunnigan back because I really like Jane and I thought we'd have a general chat about one or two health issues making the news in recent weeks so it's a busy old programme Monday's programme and as usual you can uh, get involved have your say via richieallen.co.uk comment live or you can use the app download the app send an instant message right here to me in the studio and the program this week is brought to you delighted to say in association with nutrahealth365.com that is nutrahealth365.com i've only had my teeth done that's what it is I'll say it again, NutraHealth365.com. Right, if you're hearing about lurgies and flus and colds and you want to avoid all that, give yourself a chance. Go to NutraHealth365.com. That Garnacho goal, eh? Eh? Alejandro Garnacho. I left some shout out of me around about 4.33 yesterday afternoon and I very rarely react when Manchester United score. Why do I rarely react? Well, for my voice, you see. For my voice to prevent hoarseness. So I never, even at the games, I don't shout even when they score. I just applaud like an Egypt. Jazz hands. No, I don't do that. I applaud. But I enjoyed that. It was nice. Great goal. If you haven't seen it, you'll find it on social media somewhere. That was me yesterday. Anyway, what's happening? Immigration is in the news today. Will the government ever limit the numbers? Uh, no. No, Ted, they won't. They won't, Dougal. Of course they won't. Obviously not. It's not in the plan. Immigration. And some deal, the Telegraph reported that it saw a pact, a letter that indicated there was a pact when Rishi Sunak wanted to be the Prime Minister last year and he asked Suella Braverman for her support and she said, yeah, if you raise the wage threshold, you know, the if you raise, if you raise the wage threshold for migrants meaning that she wanted migrants only to be able to come here to work if they had a job that paid them over £40,000. And apparently Sunak said, yeah, 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 go on, yeah, I'll give you that, yeah. And then he reneged on it. That's what they're saying anyway. It's all a puppet show. Immigration, mass immigration will not end. Tommy Robinson, eh? The Met Police pepper sprayed the bejesus out of him. I shouldn't laugh. But what a dipstick. I'm a journalist, cried Tommy. Literally cried because pepper spray was streaming out of his eyes, right? And it's no joke, I was pepper sprayed once, me. I was, yeah. No, I was never pepper sprayed. And by the way, I'm not endorsing the Met Police arresting people who haven't committed a crime, nor am I endorsing pepper spraying them. Not even him. 
just in case you're starting to get a bit triggered there. I've Historically, my listeners will know I've never had any time for that little git. Anyway, he was at the anti-Semitism march yesterday where 100,000 people turned up to say no to something that isn't happening. It's mad really, isn't it? Let's get 100,000 people on the streets to protest something that isn't happening. What have the Romans done for us? Well, apart from the roads, sanitation, law and order, the aqueduct, public health, what have the Romans done for us? There's no anti-Semitism here. Anti-Semitism doesn't exist in the UK. The UK is a good place for British Jews. Don't say the Jews, because Jews are not a race. They're not. Ardent Jewish people will tell you that. There isn't endemic anti-Semitism in the UK, and there hasn't been a rise in anti-Semitism since the since the Israeli response to October 7th. And I watch this very closely and I speak to Jewish people. There has not been a rise in anti-Semitism, which means real hatred of the Jews. And of course, Jews are not Semites anyway. But that's what it means. It means that, you know, a proper ingrained hatred. But there's none of that. Are people, you know, idiots occasionally shouting at Jewish people from time to time, you know, in the wake of the climate that we're currently, you know, observing? Yeah, maybe. But that isn't any indication that there is a rise in anti-Semitism. Jews do well. And good on them. God love them, eh? And Jews have nothing to do with what's going on in Gaza. The genocide there. That's got nothing to do with British Jews. Or Irish Jews for that matter. And I know one or two Irish Jews as well. Main bastards. You see? You couldn't resist it, could you? That's a joke, by the way. Israel says that negotiations are still continuing over the hostage and prisoner releases expected today. So this is the fourth and final day of the current truce. Hamas want to extend it. And that's according to broadcasters, both in the region and around the world. International efforts continue to extend this temporary ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Israel's offering a day's pause in fighting for every 10 additional hostages released from Gaza. Right? I know. I know. As part of the deal, 39 Israeli hostages in Gaza have gone home, have been released with 117 Palestinians freed from Israeli jails. And the media is reporting, the legacy media, that lorry loads of humanitarian supplies did enter the Gaza Strip today with food, fuel and medicines being distributed by aid organisations. Apparently 120,000 litres of fuel has gone in there. Um, There was a press conference today held by the uh, International Centre of Justice for Palestinians. And speaking at it is a British, or was, excuse me, a British Palestinian surgeon called Ghassan Abusita. He painted a very gruesome picture, so he did, about life in Gaza and how it's been these last few weeks. If you do have youngsters, maybe they don't need to hear this and you might want to either kick them in the backside out of the room or turn me down for about uh, one and a half minutes. Really by the day four, day five, half of my operating list, which was around 10 to 12 cases every day, starting at eight or nine in the morning and finishing at one in the morning, uh, were children. Uh, My estimate is that there are now between 700 and 900 children with amputations of limbs, um, in some of whom multiple uh, limbs have been amputated. On one night uh, at Al-Ali Hospital, I performed amputations on six children. At one stage, when there was a call from one of the plastic surgery teams further up north 
uh, at Lauda Hospital, which is an NGO hospital where MSF has a, a base and a, and a unit there um, in Jabalia camp. I moved to um, uh, Lauda Hospital from Shifa. Um, on the third day that I was there, and in front of me, I witnessed a phone call by the Israeli army to the medical director of the hospital. And he was informed that unless he um, evacuates the hospital within two hours, the hospital was going to be targeted. Um, of course, that was not going to be possible. First of all, um, the job of the hospital is, is only to leave once all of the population is left. And two, that there were many patients that were too difficult to move. Um, we evacuated this, the patients that were, had been operated on were recovering from their injuries and I moved back to Shifa um, to rejoin the plastic surgery team there. Yeah, that's pretty grim, isn't it? It's pretty gruesome. Six times in one night. Yeah, uh, he performed amputations on children. Yeah, you were listening there to a British-Palestinian surgeon by the name of Ghassan Abu Sitta, who discussed there, as you heard also, the Israeli Defence Forces or the Israeli Defence Force contacting hospitals and telling people to get out of there before we bomb it. Yeah, now, uh, Jane, by the way, is part Jewish. I didn't ask Jane on to discuss what's going on in Gaza or what went on in Israel on October 7th, but she might want to say something. She might not want to say something. I didn't invite her on to say that. You see who was in Israel getting a grand tour today. You, you did You did see it's Elon Musk, yes, the boss of X, which used to be Twitter. He's been shown around southern Israel and the scene of the October 7th attack by the Prime Minister there, Benjamin Netanyahu. It's a big club and you ain't in it, said George Carlin. Carlin, even Elon is a spoofer, isn't he? Ten minutes past the hour. Do reach out to me via my website or via the app for the programme. The app can be downloaded via the App Store or via Google Play. I think that's right. Very good. And Rob says, I wonder what the government oinkment will be for the new flu. And that leads us neatly into our next story. Thank you, Rob, for the message and for the prompt. Because um, this was disturbing news this lunchtime. We had some disturbing news. You might want to might want to hear it. You ready for the disturbing news? They're not. They're nothing if not predictable. These people are they. This is Jane Secker on Sky News. Listen. Just hearing from the UK's health security agency that the UK's first human case of the flu strain H1N2, which has been circulating in pigs, has been detected. So this is serious because it's moved... It's serious. Swine flu is in humans. Except we heard this before, didn't we, about 13 years ago? And it turned out to be a load of bollocks then. And they gave people a... A, a vaccine at the time called Pandemrix and it made lots of people fall asleep spontaneously. <laughs> You'll never believe it. It was great crack altogether. Swine flu was going to kill lots of people. Here's a vaccine. Swine flu did nothing and the people who took the vaccine got pan... Sorry, got uh, narcolepsy. Sound familiar? Does it sound like something that's happened in the last two to three years? That's because it is. Let's hear more from Jane Secker at Sky News about the swine flu. 
moved from uh, pigs into uh, the human population. It's a single confirmed human case, according uh, to the UK Health Security Agency. Um, it's uh, influenza, is similar to the flu virus, is currently circulating in pigs. Uh, as is usual, early in this emerging infection, uh, the UK HSA is working closely with partners to work out the characteristics of the pathogen. Working closely with partners, the UK Health Security Agency. I know I do tend occasionally, I'm not the worst at it, repeating myself, but I did say, isn't that so dystopian, that, isn't it? Deliciously so. Health Security Agency. Just the implication of those three words assembled together in a sentence. Health Security Agency. Yeah, swine flu has leapt from the piggies into a single human being who apparently is doing quite well. She goes on to say he's doing all right, the lad. Don't worry about it. But she doesn't say don't worry about it, though. Wonder what they'll do. Will they call swine herds do we say things like that anymore in 2023 swine herds will they cull populations of pigs will they will they probably not maybe not this time will they will they dare to discuss a vaccine will they dare to do that considering that it's not even 15 years since pandemics i wonder will they it is 13 and a half minutes past the hour. Reach out to the programme. Have your say. Roll up, roll up. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, you can do it via the website Comment Live as well. Good afternoon. Uh, to everybody listening to the programme, wherever you are, Dr. Jane Donegan will be with me in hour two. A little bit uh, later on this hour, about 10 minutes or thereabouts, Ben Gilroy will join the programme. Looking forward to that. Spoke to him earlier on, recorded it. So last Thursday, there was a riot in Dublin. A man stabbed young children and adults. Five people, I believe, were stabbed. One of the adults and one of the children sustained very serious injuries, okay? This led, of course, didn't it? Did it not? It led to um, a gathering of people uh, near where the stabbing happened in Dublin, in, near Parnell Square. And later on, there were battles, I suppose you could say, between some of these people and the police, and there was looting, and the Irish were aghast. The Irish media was aghast. And so was the, so was the uh, Irish population, if you believe that. Anyway, Simon Har Harris is Ireland's Minister for Higher Education. Simon Harris. That bogey had the health gig, didn't he? Didn't Simon Harris have the health gig? During COVID, anywho, he was on flagship RTE programme Morning Ireland. You will hear the presenter first. Joining us this morning is the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris. Good morning. Good morning, Rachel. Following last Thursday night's violence, what will change? What will change? Well, I think qu quite a lot will need to, and I think it's right and proper after the real horror that people saw on the streets of Dublin um, last Thursday that the Garda Commissioner will carry out a full review and report for the Minister for Justice in relation to this situation. There's a number of actions already underway led by Helen McEntee around making sure we better resource and support our Garda, continuing with Garda recruitment to grow the number of Garda in Dublin and across our communities, body cameras, looking at the issue of how we can get our Garda to use technology so it can speed up the time that it takes them to have to review CCTV, and then also legislative change to make sure that where people do commit a crime, particularly attacking a guard or a frontline worker, that there are longer sentences. So there's a number of measures that have been underway uh, and there's a number of them that can now be even escalated further. 
do the Gardaí have the numbers to tackle these issues? Because despite promises, the strength of the force isn't growing. I mean, the latest figures from October, the Garda operational figures, show that there were 13,880 members of the force. The figure in the January report was 14,133. There's actually been a decline this year. Yeah. And and I expect that there will be further people out of Templemore, further Gardaí coming out this year. There's another class due to go in in December. But not at we, the rate you need. I think we will start to see Garda numbers growing again. Um, we had a very successful Garda recruitment campaign. There's no doubt about it at all factually that the COVID pandemic where we just shut the Garda College not once but twice did impact the pipeline in terms of Garda recruitment. We're now back in terms of recruiting Gardaí um, and for example of the 227 Gardaí that came out of Templemore this year so far, 165 of them have been deployed to Dublin where I think people will rightly see that they're, they're needed right now. Now just saying Simon Harris, Minister for Higher Education, you've got a lot of y- young men in the country new, newly arrived young men. Some of them speak with Eastern European accents. Some of them have got brown skin and they sound a bit Arabic and they're young and they're lean and they're mean and they might be fighting machines and maybe you could send some of them to Templemore to train to be Gardaí. Wouldn't that be very ironic? Wouldn't it? That's a conspiracy theory right there Richie Allen. Mm. It's not one I necessarily subscribe to by the way but there are those some of them pretty articulate people who th- they're concerned about things like that happening, you know. It's interesting because what I notice around Salford, what I notice around Salford, and some of these guys are lovely guys now, but I do notice this around Salford. Um, I notice men of African descent recently arrived in the country, last three to five years, working as security guards in shops and outside pubs, but in supermarkets as well. Now, one of these guys has become a bit of a mate of mine, so I feel a little bit guilty. What are you suggesting exactly? Well, what I'm suggesting is, while I don't subscribe to the conspiracy theory that these young men will join some, I don't know, join some army reserve or become part of some armed forces group in the Great Reset Agenda, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. But um, we do see a lot of security roles in the UK being taken up by men We've gone and obviously gotten their training. You've got to train. You've got to have a, a license to be to work in security here in the UK. But it's interesting, isn't it? I suppose the theory is that maybe the person who didn't grow up in this country might be less morally challenged when it comes to enforcing things against the indigenous population. That's the theory. I don't subscribe to this at all, I'm saying. And I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm just putting it out there. But we might, the Templemore in, in Dublin where they trained the Gardaí, is it in Dublin? I think it is, where they trained the Garda Shia or the Garda Shikaloni, as Brendan used to say years ago, Brendan Grace. Um, if they're short of numbers, they got a lot of young men there, might be looking for a job, chance to wear a nice shiny new uniform. Anyway, this goes on. Simon Harris and, and Rachel from Good Morning Good Morning Ireland or Morning Ireland. Over the weekend, the Thánaiste spoke about one social media platform in particular because, again, social media is part of this story. He spoke about X, formerly Twitter, allowing the spread of, in his words, hate and bile. Do you agree with him? How do you spread hate and bile? Can anybody show me how to do that? I'd love to be able to do it just so I can know how to do it. I'm not saying I will do it. But how do you spread hate and bile? How do you do that? I think it's impossible, isn't it, to spread hate and bile. What does it even mean? 
nobody ever asks these questions, of course, except us here at the Richie Allen Show. I fully agree with them. I fully agree with them. And I think there is a very serious issue, not just in this country, but in Western democracies now, in relation to social media platforms, which I use and which I appreciate and which have great value, but also when wrongly used, having an ability to spread disinformation and undermine democracy. We disinformation and undermine democracy. People can spread disinformation and undermine democracy. We, we really are gone beyond 1984 now. We want to stop people having their say and exercising their human right to an opinion because it undermines democracy. When we want you to take medicine, when we want you to accept mass migration into your community, wrecking your lives, we want you to just accept it and shut up about it. That's ultimately what's going on here. We now have a media commission, Commission Amon. Uh, Could it do more? Well, it's going to do a lot. Um, and by next, by the first quarter of next year, there will be a statutory online code in relation to the removal uh, of information that is deemed to be disinformation and the likes. That will be legally binding, and I think that's quite important. But Amazing, isn't it? There'll be statutory instruments used. So we're going to tell social media companies when something is disinformation, and they're going to do what we tell them, which is to remove it and to remove the person who posted it, or there will be financial consequences for that social media organisation. We are the government. What we tell you goes. When we say X is Y, and you know that X is not Y, you shut up and take it. Or there'll be consequences for you. Don't speak out about it. These are thugs, these people. I think Gerald Salente would have described them over the years as thugs, little thugs like Simon Harris. You know, saying that we, we get to tell you what's right and what isn't right, what's wrong. We get to tell you what's acceptable to say and what isn't acceptable to say. And we will basically punish the social media companies if they don't go along with them, what it is we tell them to do. But there's no need for any law or any commission uh, for these companies to be called out when they don't step up to the plate. Some have been very responsive. And my understanding was there was quite a lot of engagement um, after the horrific, horrific incident on, on, on Parnell Square with, with the stabbing of children. Um, some are less responsive. Some are less responsive. They're looking into Conor McGregor. Let's stay with 40 seconds more of this, because even though this is little old Ireland, this is for everybody. Every country's got its own online harms bill making its way through Parliament, right? So this is for everybody. What you're hearing from him in Dublin, it's happening everywhere else. Just stay with it for 40 seconds. When people say, and they will, that when they use X, that they're exercising their right to free speech and that that is a place where they can say things that aren't said elsewhere. How do you respond? So, so free speech is something I would absolutely uh, d defend to the nth degree. It's a cornerstone uh, of all democracy. I mean, less than 30 seconds ago, he said that uh, social media companies would be fine for not taking down posts that the government deems to be disinformation. I mean, this is hilarious. This is gaslighting. So just after he says, we'll tell social media companies to delete people, he says... Free speech is a cornerstone of the democracy we live in. What we're talking about here is the spread of disinformation and the spread of hatred. Um, and I, I simply wouldn't be, nor would I wish to, but I wouldn't be allowed to do it in this studio. Yeah, let's just leave him there. Disinformation. What does he mean exactly? I'll tell you the type of disinformation he means. He means people getting together on social media and comparing the injuries they sustained after they received a COVID jab. That's the sort of disinformation that dickhead wants to see basically removed from Twitter. And not him. 
He's a, the carrier of a message. We've said this too many times. The carrier of a message. That's all he is, no more, no less. This is the Richie Allen Show, Monday's programme, fast approaching 24 minutes past the hour. Back with you in two shakes of a lamb's tail. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. Welcome back. Hi to Mike in Hull. Mike says, undermines my democracy. Surely it's the people's democracy, not his to dictate. Dangerous times coming if we don't stand our ground, Richie, says Mike. All this hate speech bollocks is dangerous because hate these days is basically uh, classed as anything, uh, sorry, is classed as disagreeing with anything the system dictates. Having an opinion is no longer allowed, says Mike. Thank you, Mike. And they framed it, you know, it's not even, you'd have a bit of respect for them if it was clever. But it isn't even clever. If it was clever, you'd say, all right, you'd, you'd, you know, you'd, you'd doff your cap and you'd say, well done, but this is nonsense. You know, we should have the ability to take down uh, somebody's post. If somebody theorises about an illness, if somebody theorises about an event, about a crime, if we say to social media the person's theory or their opinion is wrong, they should take it down because it might be harmful to others if they happen across it. This is rubbish. Like, I mean, it doesn't stand up whichever way you look at it. You must take down Mr. X and Mrs. Y's posts. Why? Why? She, she just believes that we don't need to take any COVID jabs. That's just her opinion because COVID is a very mild thing. Yeah, but um, others might see that and they might decide, yeah, do you know what? I won't have the COVID jab. Mrs. Y sounds right to me. And that person then might go on to come down with COVID and that person might die. Therefore, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you need to get rid of Mrs. Y for disinformation. Because we tell you, COVID is deadly. And that's the way it is. You've got to believe it. Indeed. Steve says, I used to come across Harris, Simon Harris, regularly in the supermarket in my hometown along with his partner in crime, Stephen Donnelly. But I don't think either of them have the cojones to walk the streets of their hometown anymore, says Steve. James says, Hi, uh, Richie, all the foreigners do the jobs British people won't do, like security, like parking wardens, etc., as this is not their country or culture. They're in a new land and will do anything to please, says James. It's a bit general, that, James, but I, I hear you. David says you need to have a British national, you need to be a British national and to have a clean criminal record for at least five years. Going back five years and more, you must have lived in the UK decades before you will get your licensed SIA badge to be a store detective as I work as an SIA door supervisor in Blackpool. David, I would like to talk to you on this programme because I know that Tesco in Salford has got guys working as security officers there. And they have not been in the UK for five years. And I know this to be true. I'm pretty sure I know this to be true. Yeah, I'm going to look into it discreetly. 
I'm pretty sure. Um, you have you, you must have lived in the UK for decades before you will get the badge. But how many decades is decades? Be more specific. How long exactly do you need to have lived here in the UK before you are given the SIA licence to work on security? Because I'm pretty sure one of the gentlemen I spoke to working at Tesco, nice guy, they're all nice guys, but one in particular, he's not been in the country that long at all. And now he's working in security. Have rules been relaxed, David, post the scam and the lockdowns, maybe, uh, which might not be to your knowledge? Let me know, pal. I'd love to hear from you. 28 minutes past the hour. When we come back, we'll hear from Ben Gilroy on Monday's Richie Allen Show. I'm looking forward to you hearing Ben. Gary Barlow, Let Me Go on the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk. The app for the programme, do download the app. And of course, it's on multiple other platforms, Fab Radio 2 in Manchester, and it's on tunein.com. And I'm Richie Allen, Dave Young. Hi, Dave. The chemtrails over Scotland were the worst I've ever seen in my life the weekend, he says, Saturday. They were so bad, even some of my friends who know nothing about these things were commenting on it. It's in our faces and unbelievably frustrating that people can't see it, says Dave. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Appreciate that. G-Man was in touch. Hi, G-Man. We did cover this last week, the World Health Organization asking China for information about a new respiratory illness and clusters of pneumonia in children. We did talk about that last week. And the World Health Organization uh, told China, or asked China, to implement social distancing, didn't it? And stay at home and all of that old crap. Yes, just in case you're coming in late on the programme, it was announced by the media this lunchtime that a case of swine flu, a new strain of swine flu, has been found in a person. Yeah. We'll ask Jane her thoughts on that, because Jane will remember very well the goings-on of uh, 12, 13 years ago. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Terry, who says thank you. Who says thank God for Irishmen like Ben Gilroy? Uh, appreciate that. I really appreciate. Thank you, uh, Donald O'Brien. Simon Harris initially studied journalism in French at the Dublin Institute of Technology, but dropped out in the first year. Who is he? Asks Donald to tell people what is misinformation or disinformation. And Anto says, "Word on the street, Richie, is the child lost a litre of blood." What do you mean, the word on the street, Anto? How would anybody on the street know exactly how much blood was lost by the child? Because the media, uh, the the medical people looking after the kid and the police, the Garda Corner, are not saying very much at all about what happened. So I didn't see anything about a litre of blood. But Anto says, I didn't see any blood in any of the footage I've seen so far. Was it a psy-op, perhaps, asked Ben. Well, I recorded Ben earlier on and I didn't ask him that uh, about a psy-op, no. Um, But thanks for that anyway, maybe in the future. Uh, Right, okay, Ben Gilroy then. Look, I met Ben back in 2012, 2013, when we talked about the banking fraud in Ireland and elsewhere. And that's been, uh, um, I suppose, his life's work, or much of his life's work, which which even today when I when I spoke with him this morning he was just about to fly to New York on the case of banking fraud here in Ireland and beyond amazing bloke really um, incredibly thick skinned he's had to become because of the abuse he's received over the years but I wanted to talk to him because 
I came across a tweet of his about what happened in Dublin near Parnell Square on Thursday and the ensuing civil unrest afterwards. So I invited Ben on to talk about that. And here is that conversation, Ben Gilroy and myself. It is Monday's Richie Allen Show. Have a listen. Ben, welcome back. It's, um, I think, last time we spoke was June. It's lovely to have you on. I know you're really busy at the moment. We'll talk later on about what you're doing today because that's for another show. But I'd like to get into the events in Dublin last Thursday because you've been tweeting and your tweets have gone viral about it. Just before you give us your thoughts as to what happened on Thursday, the Irish Congress of Trade Unions is calling on workers in the city to assemble today at 1pm at the GPO to show some solidarity against the violence and unrest in the capital last week. I'm sure you'll have a comment on that. What happened on Thursday, as far as you can tell? Okay, on Thursday, I actually spoke to um, the wife of Wayne uh, well, a second in now um, escapes me, but I did put it out on my video. I spoke to his wife. He said they were just passing uh, at the street where the incident happened. And they thought it was a woman and man fighting, you know. So they were sort of reluctant to even get involved because they had their own kids and they were walking by. And then the woman looked, uh, the mother, Wayne's wife, and she looked over and she said, oh, my God, Wayne, they're stabbing the child. And the woman was trying to wrestle the child away from the attacker. And then she was getting stabbed herself. So this guy, Wayne, went over. He's a big bulky lad. Um, and so was the attacker now, in fairness. And he got, he went over without any thought for his own safety. And he wrestled with him. He got his whole top slashed or cut. You'll see it on, on their own Facebook page. And... Um, he wrestled your man to the ground, and when they eventually got the knife off him, a lady kicked it away, and then this Brazilian came over with a, a delivery, you know, he was a delivery driver, and he started beating your man on the head with his helmet. So fair play to them heroes. Uh, without them, there probably would have been children dead, uh, certainly more seriously injured, and obviously there's still a child and a woman fighting for their life here after this incident. But listening to the mother recall the story, I have to tell you, I got a lump in my throat. It was sickening to listen to. And she was crying telling the story because she's clearly traumatised by what she saw. And why wouldn't she be? Like, you know? Yeah, yeah horrible thing to happen, isn't it? And as, yes. as of this morning, and of course, this this conversation will go out on the radio at four, just after four o'clock this afternoon. But as of this morning, the Gardaí in Dublin are still being pretty tight-lipped about anything in terms of who the man is or where he came from is that right that's right yeah but it's fairly well known now that he's uh, uh, from albania he has been living in the country for a number of years there is rumors he was supposed to self-deport years ago and never did but the problem we have in this country like most problems uh, they're having right across europe is this wokey left nonsense of Oh, reckless open borders and then the left want to play the victim the whole time and then point to the far right as if the far right is actually an identity of a group of people that you can actually recognize and point to um there is no far right in ireland there may be one or two people who express far right views they're absolutely minimal in their number in this country and they would have no effect in the country our power position influence whatsoever but to listen to the rte news and the guardie immediately when the riots took place saying it was the far right i mean first of all who are the far right identify the players i know people sometimes from the absolute 
extreme left, radical left point to me as far right. That's because anybody who doesn't um, align with their radical views are far right. There is no right, there is no medium, there is no centre politics with the extreme radical left because there's either them and then everybody else is far right. So I keep saying, identify who the far right are, name them, and then show me in the video where you've seen them looting. Because yeah. that just didn't happen. I know, look, Richie, I'm going to tell you, and I, I have to be very careful because the radical left always, you know, pick every word I say, take it out of context and then call me racist. So I just have to be careful what I'm going to say here. But I'm going to tell you, Richie, there were numerous non-Irish nationals looting in those shops. And I've seen several videos and they're all for people to see all over the Internet. Now, how do we know? Uh, hang on, the, hang on, Ben. How do we know? Because the videos I've seen, most of these people were masked up and scarved up and seemed right. to be difficult there was to a identify. There were couple of Dublin people and they were given out to black young fellas and they were saying, you're looting these shops and you're only in our country a while and you could see them with foreign accents answering back and one fella says, I'll break your jaw or something like that. So now look, at, I'm not saying there was no Dublin people and I'm saying there was no Irish looting too. There was. But unless somebody's going to tell me that all these black youths and everybody have joined the far right, that's the point I'm making, you know. So to say that it was the far right, identify the people, point them out because they looked like Antifa to me. That's what most of them looked like, where they were well covered up their faces and the hoodies and the back rucksacks that they carry. Very typical of Antifa at any protest, at anywhere in the world when they go looting. Very typical their style. Most far right, by the way, what they term far right are actually law abiding citizens. And that's well documented, by the way. They have great respect for the law, the people that they call far right, such as myself. I'm no more far right. I think what they mean is right so far. Right so far, right yeah. So far, but, but if I asked you, right. <laughs> if I asked you, Ben, to leave aside what happened on Thursday, if you were sure. to attempt to define somebody with a far right perspective on geopolitics or domestic politics, what yeah. would that be? What would it look like, that far right view? Normally, before they start calling everybody far right, even concerned parents in the inner city, you know, because we're just concerned before they start calling everybody far right. Far right normally meant someone who was a fascist, who was against freedom of speech, who would uh, cancel culture, who would support Nazism, neo-Nazism. That's what far right is and always has been. And you're the, the opposite of that because this is, well, this is my opinion because I've known you for years because far from wanting to suppress speech, you're more than happy to engage publicly with those who see things differently than you. You're prepared to stand on a platform with them. But of course, this never happens. Absolutely. This is like a problem, when Charlie yeah. Flanagan, people forget when Charlie Flanagan wanted to reduce this uh, hate speech law and uh, the curbing of free speech and Facebook were... Uh, during lockdown, we're cancelling people and of cancel culture. I was protesting outside Facebook. I mightn't have agreed with everything somebody said, but do I go around shouting for somebody to be cancelled because I don't agree? I don't. I don't shout for the far left and the radical left uh, not to have airwaves. Unfortunately, they've infiltrated all the press and the media, not only in this country but in your country as uh, in the UK as well. I don't mean your country, yeah, yeah, but yeah. where you're living I know now. What you mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and for whatever reason. 
the radical left have overtaken uh, the media. And I, I was listening to a barrister here in Ireland one time, and he was saying that, how do we know they're the far right? How do we know what their views are? How do we know what they stand for? The reason none of us know is because the media cancelled them. Won't they cancelled them. them the whole time. Yeah, they and won't include says, them, yeah. Yeah, and he says, I've often heard in media circles saying that these people are too far right to have on. But he said, I've never heard once where they're saying these guys are too radical left to have on. And to give you an example of that, we have nonsense radical left where a hairy arse man can pull on a dress uh, and demand to be called Loretta and wants uh, access to young girls' bathrooms and everything else. And we put this out on the media because this is absolute radical left nonsense. Yes, when you suggest that open borders where criminals are coming into this country, unvested, running from probably the courts in their own country, and all we're suge suggesting is we should tighten the borders and, and, you know, really inspect who these people are and check them. Uh, all of a sudden, we're far right, we're neo-Nazis. I'm sick of being called these names. And not only that, the, the woke parties, the far woke parties are going to have a backlash come the next election in Ireland because they can't fix it. Because I see the likes of Sinn Féin and everybody else saying that we have a housing problem but still promoting this reckless open border policy where there's thousands upon thousands of unvetted men coming into the country and they're being housed and put up in offices and everywhere else while there's a housing crisis uh, that we have not seen before. And can I country. just say, can I just say before my listeners scream at me to shout at you, even though this is a recorded chat, they'll be saying, well, uh, um, is there any evidence that Ben Gilroy ever gave a shite about homeless people in the past? There is, there's loads of evidence. And I say this, there's loads of evidence, just go look for it. But um, yeah. we, look, I was reading the Times of London, I do a newspaper review podcast every morning, and I was reading yeah. the Times of London today. In some local authorities in this country, they're offering tents to homeless people because facilities that were previously reserved for homeless people are now being used to house migrants many of them young men of you know fairly fairly able-bodied young men age, let's be honest. well we, you can say that right but can i ask you and, this right can I, can, sorry go ahead come in on that come in on yeah that. i was just going to say make a point on that like you know we don't have a problem with genuine people fleeing war but people fleeing war say like ukraine they should be the women and children fleeing men stay and fight war but what we have is busloads of undocumented men of fighting age coming here, they're not coming here with their families. They're not coming here with their sisters and wives. So if these people are fleeing persecution and war, are these the type of men that leave their women, children, sisters, wives, mothers behind when fleeing war? And if that's the type of people, they have no respect for women or children. And that's why we have the incidents like we had. And it wasn't just last Thursday. In the GPO a week ago, a man went to attack a woman with a knife in the GPO sh shouting Ali Akbar. So there's loads of this going on. Poor Ashling Murphy, which hit the news again, was yeah. out jogging and got stabbed in the neck by a guy uh, and murdered, brutally murdered. And the guy only in the country a wet week. This is what the problem is. And this is the problem created by the wokey far left brigade of this country. So it's your contention and they need that... need to be put to the political dustbin. And it's your contention that the majority of people who come out to, to protest are obviously law-abiding people, but somehow there's of an course. infiltration. Because I've seen this over of the course. years. I, I used to cover the... 
um, many many years ago I used to cover the G7 meetings and, and yeah. you know these big financial meetings with yeah. the richest co- countries in the world and a lot of yeah. lefties would come out to protest like lots of lefties fair yeah. enough I've no problem with that whatsoever but something yeah. would always kick off somebody would always throw something from a roof somewhere and right. it would paint the they protesters always, we used to call them the um, um, what was that provocateurs that's agent right provocateurs agent provocateurs that's right and, and if I was of the left movement the radical left I would be looking at the rise of what they call the far right but it's not far right what it is is this anti-woke open border man is a woman gender nonsense all of it's nonsense all of it's a lie and it's dangerous to children and what, what I would be doing if I was one of these radical lefties I would be saying, look, the next protest they have, we'll get our people in there and we loot, throw stones, throw bottles, attack the police, and the far right will get the blame for us. Because the far right are unidentified. Like, why don't the the police in Ireland um, attack the head office of the far right? Oh, because there isn't one. Why don't they attack their websites and groups? Because there isn't one. There is no far right in Ireland. I mean, somebody even said to me that... uh, I was at a white supremacist talk in Dublin where 7,000 people show up. A white supremacist? White I mean, supremacist you wouldn't get one white in supremacist Dublin. in Ireland. Never mind 7,000 out in the public. It is laughable, talk. isn't it? It's beyond but hilarious. But this is just the left. They lie. They, you cannot trust them. And their open border policy now is is really made Dublin a very dangerous place. I was speaking to one fairly tough lad from Dublin and he said to me he wouldn't go out in Dublin now unless he was carrying a gun. So it's a dangerous place. Ben Gilroy's our guest. We've got Ben for another few minutes. On on the 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 gender. Oh, just on it, while you were saying you were reading your papers this morning, Richie, yeah. sorry to cut across. No, I was go just ahead. looking at the Guardian from your uh, from the UK this morning, The Guardian, and it says Labour would cut net migration to 200,000 a year, says Shadow Minister, right? And he says, um, he says, uh, uh, Darren James says, uh, sorry, Darren Jones says, figures are extremely high and the party would aim to reduce them to normal levels. Yeah. Well, it looks like Labour is far right now, doesn't it? Well, it's funny, isn't it? And and yeah, you could take that, and 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 I get that one hundred percent. You're right to say that, tongue in cheek, of course. But two hundred thousand. Yeah. But it's the same yardstick. It's the same nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> but but two hundred thousand net is growing the country by a very 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 large town or a yeah, small a city million. every it's a year. Million every every um, um five years. Every five years, yeah. Without, you know? and of course, while there, and this is happening in every, we talked about this before, this is a lockstep thing. While in every yeah. country this is happening in, they are right. decimating public services. And this is Listen, why people... we were warned by this from Sweden. Sweden, a lot of people in Sweden come out and warned the Irish, be careful of your open border policies. The same in Poland, the same right across Europe, they were warning us. We've seen the battles in Paris and south of France and everywhere else, and Dublin turned into that on Thursday night. Now, I said on my on my speech that I did that's gone viral on YouTube or on uh, Twitter and that, um, I, what I said was, we had no problem in Ireland. We're a very welcoming country. And we wel- welcomed hundreds of thousands of Polish, Latvians. You know, it didn't matter where they were from, Indians, everywhere. I mean, even our Taoiseach is an Indian. We don't have a problem with people who are vested coming to this country, come with the work ethic that we have and want to work. But something has changed in the last couple of years and that's not who's coming here in their droves. 
and, and that's having, the problem. And it's having and that's, a... and that's why we're not far right. We, I, I even said in the speech, we recognise the contribution that those foreign nationals brought to our country. We recognise and welcome it. And I see Polish kids, kids here in the Irish speaking schools and everything. That's all fantastic. But something has gone wrong. The wheels have come off our immigration policy cart and we are in serious trouble in this country. And if it's not sorted very soon, as I warned on the last time on your show, Richie, when I said Ireland will become the shithole of Europe, I warned of that and we are well on our way to becoming there. And it's funny, just before I ask you about your your um, travels, because you're on your travels today, you're off on, yep. on a trip. And before we talk about that briefly, because we'll get into it more when you come back, Sure. You know, again, I go back to this far right thing again. I see videos taken in small communities in southwest yeah. Ireland, in the west of Ireland, where rural mm. rural people have been told we're gonna we're gonna you know take a hotel, we're gonna commandeer it, and we're gonna effectively close it, and we're gonna house a hundred, yeah. hundred and fifty. Mm. And the, 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 these people are obviously going to say, well, hang on a second, there's only one hundred and twenty villagers here, we can't have right. one hundred and fifty yeah. people come in, and the hotel is yeah. a vital cog for us. And to, to label those people, it's almost vaudeville. It's almost comical, isn't it? To yeah. label people oh, like listen, that far It's right. an absolute... If you were planning to destroy a country, and maybe there is a plan to destroy this country, but you couldn't come up with a better plan. And, like, first of all, these are all, as we say, young, healthy men, right? Who's going to take care of the sexual needs of these men? Yeah. You know, they have wants, needs, like every other man. Who's going to take care of all of that? Maybe Vradkar is going to do it. I don't know, but somebody better do it. <laughs> and I am, I am leaving. I am leaving that in. I, I'm definitely tongue, tongue in cheek. No, I'm right? leaving that in. Ben Gilroy is our guest. Ben, in the five or so minutes we have left, because you're rushing off to the airport. Yeah. But our, I got to know Ben a long time ago when I was doing television in London because Ben was courageous enough because of his own uh, situation, of course, but he was still courageous enough to stand up uh, and talk about what the banks had done to people in Ireland, the mortgage scandals mm -hmm. in our country. And you're heading off to the States and it's related to all of that work going back 10, 12 years ago. What's That's happening? right, yeah. Okay, so the master of the High Court, Edmund Hoonan, here in Ireland, uh, has uh, basically, you know, been in touch with me and many others around the country. And I've given him an awful lot of evidence of the banking fraud that I was screaming from the rooftops. Um, when he checked it all out, he realized I was correct. And he wrote to all the TDs in this country and basically told them, this is a huge problem and it's a massive fraud at land registry and bringing fraud on the courts. Um, so then um, Matty McGrath raised it in the doll. Uh, the Irish media ignored it. And now Ed Hoonahan is on his way to Wall Street basically to give a press conference. He was invited by the Brehan Law Society to come over um, because of his revelations and fair play to him. And uh, he's going to give a press conference and the, basically the gist of it is to the Wall Street traders, your mortgage-backed securities are not so secure. And that's the basis of it because the whole market in the UK and Ireland is fraud. And when I come back, Richie, I'll be doing a number of talks where I will clarify the actual fraud and how they're, how they're perpetrating it. They did it in the States years ago, you know, with wrongful foreclosure yeah. uh, through a lot of the banking companies and robo-signing. But it's actually more complicated fraud that they actually do in Ireland, England, all over the UK. And so the talk will be about if you've lost your 
property in the last 10 or 15 years that there is a very high percentage chance it was taken off you on fraud. Amazing. And then it'll be to show the law and how you can get your properties back or get compensation. And can you just confirm that amazing, how you could get your property back and compensation. And can you just confirm something for our listeners? Can I give this to you in the basic ABCs? So what sure. you told me 20, uh, 12, 13 years ago when we yes. first spoke was that when banks um, gave mortgages to people, the banks yeah. from the get-go were, they're, 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 the scam was they were eventually going to try and dispossess you of that house. That was the scam yes. from day one. Well, the, the scam was this in, in a real simple term. The bank um, sent people out to value your home before you bought it. Yeah. If somebody came in with the proper valuation, they didn't use them. So they made sure the valuations were way overpriced. The reason they did that is they were selling the mortgages for the value of the property uh, within weeks of taking out the mortgage. So they were getting these huge monies themselves. Then they remained at land registry pretending they owned the mortgage because the bondholders who actually owned the mortgage couldn't enforce them. And so what the banks did is they said, look, we'll set up this scheme, this scam, and we will remain as registered owner, even though we're not. And we'll go into court and say, oh, look, I'm the owner of this mortgage. And therefore, we have the right to enforce. To repossess, We've yeah. now discovered that 97% of those mortgages that are registered at Land Registry, both in Ireland and in the UK, are fraudulent and they have acted upon them. So that's why I say if property was taken off you in the last 10, 15 years, there is a very, very, very high percentage that you were defrauded and someone conspired to defraud you out of that property. Listen, you've got to shuttle the cash to the airport in a few minutes' no, time. Thanks for your time today, buddy. Really appreciate Talk it. Talk to you and soon and say hello to all your listeners for me. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, Ben Gilroy on Monday's Richie Allen Show. A couple of comments there. Um, First of all, Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. He says, not to be pedantic here. You're not being pedantic at all. He says, but um, the guy who stabbed Ashling Murphy was in the country 10 years living on benefits. He'd been given a five-bedroom house by the council. He wasn't in the country a wet week, as Ben said. Thanks, Jonathan. And that's the course of the pre-recorded interview, isn't it? Because if Ben had been live, I would have put that point to him. I didn't follow the sentencing um, myself, so I didn't know that. I didn't know anything really about that. Thanks for... For that, my friends, that's good. It's good to get that cleared up. And uh, Faisal has been in touch. Apparently, Channel 5 was due to air a programme this evening entitled 1928, the year the Thames flooded, um, but it's been pulled. Why? Why? Well, apparently, Hope Not Hate, which is a ridiculous organisation which purports to tackle online hate. It's bullshit, really. Right, it's an attack dog for the establishment, right? I've had plenty of dealings with Hope Not Hate over the years. A shower of scurrilous cowards, if ever there was one. Anyway, apparently Hope Not Hate petitioned Channel 5 not to show a film or a documentary about the Thames, the Thames, the Thames flooding in 1928 because a woman featured in the programme named Nikki Shaw is apparently some sort of neo-Nazi and has called for Sam Smith the singer to be gas, apparently, and has referred to black people using racist language, apparently. So the Channel TV, Channel 5 TV show about the 1928 London floods will not go ahead because somebody featured in it, and it doesn't say how 
how much she's been featured in it. Is she just somebody, you know, who knows a little bit about flooding or whatever? But they managed to have the show dropped, even though the show on Channel 5 has got nothing to do with politics whatsoever. That's an interesting one, really. But she doesn't look, I'll be honest with you, Faisal, she looks like a bit of an idiot, really. Um, I'm not saying that justifies Channel 5 pulling the programme, but if she's going around using that sort of language, she's obviously an idiot, really, isn't she? Absolutely. Um, and Noel reckons the attacker in Dublin last Thursday was Algerian, not Albanian, according to Noel, Noel says. But we don't know, do we? Really. We, we, people are guessing, but we don't know. Uh, thank you for all of these messages. Lots of comments coming in. And Davy, hello Davy. He says, Richie, they, the illegals, are just awaiting their text message. Now, I don't know what that means, but thank you. Forget far right, Ben is not far long, says the sarcastic window cleaner. Ardle says, hearing how dangerous Dublin is, I read an article today saying Ireland is the third safest place in the world. That's from Ardle, yeah. Yeah. Hello to Ian, uh, who's asked me to get somebody back on the programme. Yeah, we might do that, Ian. Thank you. Mark says, where's the condemnation of the man who committed this terrible crime on the people of Ireland? Not a word from these dipsticks. Now, Mark, that's a little bit melodramatic. <laughs> if you want to talk about a man who's committed a terrible crime against the people of Ireland, you might talk about Ireland's, you know, Ireland's prime ministers, the, the Taoiseach. Uh, today, the previous Taoiseach, the Taoiseach before him, you could talk about that. But um, this guy who committed this crime on Thursday, it's an awful crime, obviously, but he hasn't committed it against the people of Ireland. That's taking it a bit far now, in my opinion. Anyway, so there you go. On the whole thing about SIA badges, which is a certificate, right, which you must wear. It's like a certificate. It's a license, right, that you must wear if you work in security in the United Kingdom these days. David came back to say that, in his opinion, no supermarket would employ someone without an SIA badge. It must be visible on the arm or lanyard. Uh, store security is more strict than those who work on the doors of pubs. You've got to give five years of job references, names and addresses, and they vet all of these. Um, they actually contact them all just to make sure you are legit. Five years of character references and job references before you get a job in a supermarket. That's right. But you earlier said decades, David. You punctuated that earlier by saying decades. It's obviously not decades. You don't need to be decades in the UK. But five years, okay. Yeah, it might work for the gentleman I've come across in Tesco uh, at Salford. But I will look into that. But I wonder, again... Are these things lax these days? Are people turning a blind eye or looking the other way? And I ask this, I say, who is supposed to pop up and do what you might call, um, I don't know, um, unannounced inspections? Let's call them that. There's another way of describing that. But somebody who just turns up, you know, unannounced and says, right, I want to see your security guards. I want to see their names. I want to meet them. And I want to see their 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 licenses. I mean, maybe that's lax these days. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. Interesting. Two minutes past the hour. Keep those comments coming in. RichieAllen.co.uk or download the app and send an instant message to me via the app. I would appreciate it. It's nice to talk to you. It's Monday's programme. The time is coming up for... I've already said it. Richie, it's Monday. Here's a tune for you then. Bail yourself out with a tune. 
have some water. Dr. Jane Dunnigan will be with me in a few minutes' time. Jane is brilliant. You don't want to miss her. The Richie Allen Show, Monday's edition. Music from Odyssey, that's a native New Yorker on the Richie Allen Show, five and a half minutes past the hour of five o'clock. Second week of the new time. It's a new time. Listen, good news coming out of uh, Qatar. The Qatar authorities, and they've been brokering this deal between Israel and Hamas, have said that Israel and Hamas have agreed to a two-day extension to the current truce, which has seen hostages freed and Palestinian prisoners released. I mentioned earlier on in the programme that the Israeli government had said, look, we will give a day's pause, an additional day's pause for every 10 hostages released from Gaza. So that's uh, some pretty decent news, I suppose. If it means the bombs, you know, stop dropping for a bit. It's good news, isn't it? Noel came back. Thanks, Noel. He says, Gripped in Ireland have confirmed it is, the, the guy is Algerian. Uh, thanks for that, Noel. So is it, is it the case then the guy has been in the country for a decade or thereabouts, is that right? Uh, appreciate the clarification. Thank you very much. Thank you for all your comments today. Like it. Craig reckons it could be argued that Israel, uh, sorry, ignorance reigns supreme. Well, it does, doesn't it? Everywhere. The older you get, the more you realise how little it is you know. I knew far more back then than I do now, is a famous lyric in a rock song. Craig says the word fascism has long been weaponized, but that word merely refers to strength and unity, like a simple bundle of sticks. Well, it doesn't matter what it means literally, Craig. If a culture or a populace has adopted or has afforded another meaning to a word, it kind of doesn't matter, but I get what you're saying. It doesn't matter, really. You might say words do matter. Jordan Maxwell used to say that words really do matter, but sometimes words are assigned meanings by communities, often in a harmless way. But it's an interesting point. He says, fascism is the principle that effectively underwrites socialism and communism, but too many want to hold onto their comfort blankets and believe that someone else is the fascist. Again, it's an interesting concept that, yes, well, that plays into the the, the, the identity politics ag- agenda or the reality of identity politics, where people are encouraged to believe that whichever group they inhabit, whichever group they are a member of, is somehow more susceptible to tyranny, is somehow more under the jackboot than the group next door. Therefore, they bicker away with the group next door. And yes, of course, terms like fascism and far right get thrown around. So it's an interesting point. Yes, but I spent years on this programme talking about identity politics which is central. It's very important to understanding, not the agenda, but understanding why people cannot get on, why people cannot cooperate to, to, to unify and forget the identity. You know, Ike used to say, I am infinite energy. I am infinite consciousness. Having an experience as this bloke who used to play football and who used to do breakfast television. You are having this experience as this tall, balding Irish dude who um, wasn't very much good at anything else, really, apart from gobbing off. So infinite awareness, having an experience. So that makes some sort of sense, if you believe that. So then identity politics becomes huge. Because if we are all infinite consciousness having experiences in these bodies, right? Um, Well, then obviously identity politics would be a fantastic 
way of dividing and conquering people. And we've seen, haven't we, over the years that where we had a, a, a few identity groups, those splintered and became 12, 24, 48, 96, and so on. There are thousands of identity groups now, all convinced of one thing and one thing only, that they are especially, especially subjugated or prejudiced, or that society is especially prejudiced against them. It's a brilliant thing. I, I said earlier on, sometimes, you know, you sigh because it's pretty dumb. You know, this nonsense about online harm. You know, we must remove disinformation because somebody might see it and it might cause them harm. We can't allow somebody to say, well, well, the jab harmed me. We can't allow that on social media, even if the jab did harm that person. Even if that person had a terrible reaction from the jab. We can't allow them on social media to say it. Why? Well, because the reaction is very rare. And somebody might see it and they might not have the jab and they might get sick and they might die. That's nonsense. But identity, identity politics is very clever. Very clever. I identify, what do I identify as? Nothing really. Just a bloke does a radio show. But I don't identify as part of any special group. It's 10 minutes, so it is past the hour. Keep these comments coming in. Uh, Jane Donegan is standing by. Jan says, Richie, I don't know if you got the Julia Hartley Brewer interview with Chris Williamson. I did. I did. Williamson is a former Labour MP. Darby. Darby, isn't that right? And about a year or so ago, he reached out to talk to me on this programme but he had a very short memory, did Chris Williamson, because quite a long time ago, prior to that, he'd been invited, he'd been invited on, but declined, and said some unkind things about the programme. So I reminded him of that when he tried to come on with me. I'm like, but aren't you the guy that... And then he went silent. But I've nothing against him now, at all. But I did catch the Julia Hartley Brewer interview with him. and um, But what did he expect from Julia Hartley Brewer, Jan? I mean, I agree with you. Brewer was disgraceful in her conduct uh, during the interview. But what could you expect from Julia Hartley Brewer, you know? Other than that sort of carry on. But thank you for your message. Keep them coming in. RichieAllen.co.uk or the app for the programme. There is an app for the programme. Jane is standing by. While I get Jane on, I'll do something slightly unusual. I'm going to take another tune. And uh, while I play the tune... Um, now, before I do that, by the way, the programme this week is sponsored by NutraHealth365.com. We're glad of the relationship. NutraHealth365.com. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. It's the BBG, not the BBC. That is F.R. David in words. My record collection stops at 1990. That's the excuse. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to it. 
It's coming up for 14 and a half minutes past the hour. My guest this hour is a great friend of the programmes. Uh, we have uh, enormous admiration for her. Uh, she is a GP. I uh, was being through the mill, really, um, with the General Medical Council. We talked about all of that last time uh, Jane was on. She's a homeopathic, a naturopathic practitioner. Um, I reckon you check her out. I reckon you should check her out at jane-dunnigan.co.uk. I've invited Jane on today to talk about one or two news stories which are of interest to us and people with children. So let's welcome her back to the show. Hello, Jane. How are you? Welcome back. Oh, hello, Richie, and lovely to be talking to you again. You're a lady. Tell, tell us this. Um, you're, you're not in the UK because I sent you a text message this morning and you told me you were hours behind me and my heart sank because I do this oh, every no, now and no, then. No, I am, I, am I am in the UK. It was just there was a bit of a, a, dog, a dog tail story, so I didn't ah, continue it any longer. Brilliant. I thought you were in central time in America, in Texas or something. I thought I'd oh, gotten around a date. Yeah, I'd love to be in Texas. It wouldn't <laughs> be so drizzly. I've just had friends from Texas over here, actually. Oh, have you? Lovely stuff. Yeah. How, and how did they find it? They must be freezing, because it is freezing. Uh, well, in, in my house, where the maximum temperature is about 15 degrees, because that's how I like it. Yes, they found it a bit cold. <laughs> I had to explain that you need to put on an extra woolly, and I supplied some. You're a woman after my own heart. Yeah, I don't like it too warm either. Listen, I didn't ask you on to, to, to speak about this, but um, I would feel rude if I didn't, because you have Irish and Jewish heritage, of course. Um, I've spoken quite a bit about Gaza, October the 7th on the programme. I've had every side on. I've had journalists on who would be very pro-Israeli, um, pro-Zionism, and I've had people who wouldn't be. Um, is there anything you want to say about what's been happening? I know there was a big anti-Semitism or um, anti-Semitism march in London yesterday. I take the editorial position because I know quite a lot of Jewish people. I don't believe there's any existential threat to Jewish people. And I don't believe that the UK is particularly anti-Semitic. But um, who the hell am I to say that? You have skin in the game, as it were. Anything you want to yes. say on that? Uh, well, not really. It's very complicated. And people are throwing around a lot of words, like big words, like indigenous and ethnic cleansing and genocide. And words are very powerful. And just picking something up from what you read in the newspaper doesn't really help when you don't see things in context. And the context started about 150 years ago. And we can't always live in the past. But if we cling to the past, uh, which you know about and I know about being Irish, <laughs> it doesn't help you to you have to understand the past to see how you got into the present. Uh, but sometimes you have to just get on with what you've got now. So it's very difficult. And as I said, words are very important and it's very easy to, to jump on a bandwagon. And it is very difficult because um, it's a complex situation. And for better or for worse, and for many people it's better, and for many people it's worse, um, the state of Israel does actually exist now. And I sometimes find it a bit strange how people uh, look at at least 500,000 people who've been killed in the Ukraine war, and they don't sort of worry. And then if you're talking about Arabs, they at least 150,000 people in Yemen have been, civilians have been killed, so far as I understand, by Saudi Arabia. Um, bombing them. Uh, and when people talk about taking taking land by force, well, if you read the Hamas charter, which some people call the convention, they actually say in Article 11, uh, Palestine is under Sharia law, we conquered it by force, and we conquered other lands by force um, as part of their Islamic heritage. So, uh, 
and there have been also in the world many times when people have been displaced from different places. But for some reason, which I don't understand, maybe it's because it's the melting point and the springing point of three different world religions. Um, it only seems to be important when it's actually happening in that very small bit of the Middle East that's about the size of Wales. That's fair, that. I'll give you that. Um, now, I, it's not one I'll take on the chin because I did spend a lot of time and do talking about what's happened in Yemen. There's no doubt about that. I do on this programme. I spend more yes. time talking about the crimes of the American and the British governments in Afghanistan, in Iraq than anything else. But I would have categorised what's happening in Gaza. I would have categorised it as genocide. So, I, you know, I'll own up to that. I won't pretend. Yeah, I know you don't hear yeah. this programme. That's uh, how I see it now. Personally. Yes, and also when we have uh, this whole situation, we have perfidious Albion, which is the British who've been there a lot. I mean, when you look at the machinations back at the beginning of the end of the 19th and the earliest, early 20th century, when the uh, Ottoman Empire was going to crumble and was crumbling at the end of the Second World War, I mean, they made lots of those boundaries I always think sitting around with a gin and tonic and a ruler saying, oh, well, <laughs> you can have this bit and the Italians can have this bit and the French can have this bit. And certainly um, part of the uh, enthusiasm for a homeland uh, in the what became the Palestinian mandate was to get the French influence out of Syria because that area was actually southern Syria. Uh, and so they wanted to get the French out and actually uh, Jews that were there helped them quite a lot to do that. And then once they'd done that, <laughs> They did their perfidious bit, uh, which is the uh, the Cairo office, which had been very busy trying to make a pan-Arabic state from the Indian Ocean to the Mediterranean with, of course, British influence, um, then moved over to Palestine because their Cairo office uh, closed. And to give the British government the benefit of the doubt, the Cairo office actually started uh, acting completely independently to overrule everything they decided. And once, as I said, the um, the French were mostly gone, then the British reneged, uh, certainly helped by their Cairo office now in Palestine. Um, and then the only reason the the state happened at all was because the Soviets intervened. And they were doing it because they wanted to biff the British out. And so it having been a, a, a capital offence or off to a gulag for about 30 years beforehand to be a Zionist, they suddenly flipped over for about three years. And they actually supplied Israel with lots of weapons. And then once the British were gone, they flipped back again. So one of the things I do think about everybody who lives in that area, which is Arabs and Jews and Christians and Druze and Bedouins uh, and who else? Many other people, is that they are certainly being played. And have been forever. Yeah. Yes. That, and, and there's none of that context on talk TV, there's none of it on when you read The Guardian, there isn't. There's very little mention of the pogroms of the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. No mention of it all. Jews massacred in, no. in Eastern Europe. Of course, there's never any context. Good well, stuff, the other, Jane. the other thing is, someone was actually telling me the other day that, in fact, the only reason that Iraq, Iraq had any Jews was because they were the ones, they were, they, they were interlopers from Spain and Portugal when they got chucked out in 1492. And of course... There were Jews in Iraq since 500 years before the Common Era, and they were actually um, uh, pushed aside by part of the conquer in conquering armies by force um, of Islam um, after the seventh century. You know, so people know so little about history; it's a bit of a shame. And 
as they say, those who don't learn from history um, are doomed to repeat it. And certainly we're not living in the past, but we have to have a context. Otherwise, it's just so easy to throw jingoistic things around. And we've seen that with big marches with Black Lives Matter and let's let's throw all the Churchill statues off the off the plinths, you know, because he had the first uh, concentration camps in South Africa and uh, and all these other things where people get very incensed because they are also being played. So identity politics, that's a brilliant segue, by the way, into yeah. my first question for you. Um, the ready money round. I was joking with Jane earlier on today because um, she laughed at the sub- subject matters I gave her. <laughs> about six or seven different subjects. So we might do Strictly Come Dancing and Celebrity yeah. Bake Off, but we're not. We're going to segue into, can you believe that Sky, the BBC and ITN today went with a bit of a scary story about swine flu, a swine flu variant that has jumped into people. They found one case of it and they said it was very serious and the UK Health Security Agency is all over this. And I thought to myself, you talked about people not learning from history. It's only 12 or 13 years ago that we were warned about a swine flu variant that was very potentially very serious for humans. It turned out not to be the case at all. And in fact, the vaccine they produced and, and gave to people for that swine flu variant turned out to be quite harmful. Very harmful for children, permanent narcolepsy, which means that basically you fall asleep when you're crossing the road, you fall asleep. It's almost like epilepsy. When you're trying to study, you can't drive a car. And it was because of the unprecedented number of reactions, plus the fact that they were ignored, that made it so that not only doctors and not only nurses could send in yellow cards, but they actually allowed the general public to send in yellow cards because all these signals had been coming in and they totally ignored them. And the prediction of how dangerous it was going to be was made by the same person who predicted that 2 million people would die in America and 500,000 in this country from uh, covid Professor Neil Ferguson. Ferguson did it here, didn't he? Ferguson yes. was the guy they went to who was completely wrong. He's the wrong. same one, yeah. And he's the one who made us kill, uh, was it, uh, 11 million farm animals, some of them being held by their Foot legs and, and having their heads smashed against stone walls. Foot and mouth. Um, I remember it well. I was working for yeah. WLRFM in Ireland. And yeah, I couldn't, same I couldn't come over here to watch football for for months because they were in, you know, telling people you can't come or if you did you had to wash your, your shoes I don't know what it was but they were advising not to come unless it was completely necessary yes. that's right Ferguson did that same man and, and he, he, he knocked he, he I think he wasted 11 billion pounds of British farming money and the uh, agricultural industry for livestock hasn't recovered since then and they listened to country. him back but in 2020 but that's good for some people because they want to get rid of us uh, from eating meat, we're supposed to eat the bugs. Do you think they'll succeed, Jane? Because it's all the rage on, I know you're too clever, I'm not patronising you, I know you're too bright to be listening to Sky News and the BBC, I know you're not that stupid. Well, right? well I, I don't actually have a TV. I you don't even have a TV? That's right, <laughs> you've told me that before, you don't have a telly, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, wa- I watch it for the purposes of doing the monologues well, yeah, to try and take job. it apart. It's my job, right? Um, but yeah, they're really, really pushing now COP28, which is, in, which is on Thursday, and they are pushing alternatives to meat, and rationing. I mean, they really are. I mean, people are actually mentioning the idea that, well, people would be encouraged to limit their meat intake. Do you connect those things? Like when you look back, foot and mouth and what they did culling all of those animals. Is Am I gone completely off the conspiratorial diving board if I think there might be some connection going back to that? You know, planting well, ideas you, in people's minds? You start wondering when it's the same person who gave yeah. the predictions that made all these things happen. And that they're also funded by 
Oh, who is it who helps fund Imperial College? Can I remember? Yeah. Oh, yes. Recently divorced. <laughs> the Gates Foundation. The Gates family, yeah. Jane Dunnigan is our guest. We might come back to that, the, the, the climate change thing. I... I don't have a hard heart. You know that Irish people don't really have. We we we, we pretend no. we have. You know, we, we we can try and look like we're hard-hearted. I don't. Oh, unless, unless it's our family. Unless it's our family, that's right. Yes. We we daggers <laughs> for our family, but we give everybody else a pass. That's yeah. true enough, Jane. But the, the reason I ask this is because if they push this swine flu variant, excuse me, and if they bring out a vaccine for it, if people 12 years on from... From from narcolepsy, if they take it, I'll have no sympathy, Jane. I'll have no sympathy personally. Uh, well, I at the beginning of COVID, I saw what was happening. I've been looking at vaccination since 1994. I saw them try to do it with COVID. I saw them try to do it with MERS and SARS and Zika. So it was just like a playlist, and this time it worked. And I felt sorry for people who were terrified to death because the media did a really good job at terrifying people to death. And as Goebbels said, if you can keep people afraid... They're easier to manipulate. Yeah. But I think really by the time you get to now, and we've had, I still know people who have never heard of Andrew Bridgen, have never heard of any COVID, COVID injury, although many of their relatives might have, you know, um, had heart attacks or, or strokes or whatever, uh, for some reason they can't imagine, uh, within quite a short proximity of having had the jab. But it comes a point where I think, you know, sometimes you have to use your brain. And someone said to me one, uh, just recently, well, no, you have to see the science and the evidence. Relying on common, common sense is not safe. I said, no, common sense is the only thing you can rely on. Because when it comes to the science, you can choose any method that you want and you can get from that any results that you want. So you have to use your common sense all the time. And when people say, I'm not a doctor, I say, well, good. You might still have retained the power of a little bit of ability to critically think. Loads of comments on this, unsurprisingly. Um, Jane, Dr. Jane Dunnigan is our guest. Unblemished record as a GP. Uh, very highly thought of, very well thought of. Uh, these days, you should check her out at Jane, J-A-Y-N-E hyphen Dunnigan dot co dot UK, homeopathic and naturopathic practitioner. When they announced um, the week before last that the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation had reversed itself, reversed its previous policy yes. of not giving the chicken box, pox uh, vaccine to kids, the, the one just with the chicken pox vaccine. Because people are confused about this. You might be able to help us kind of get through this confusion because people talk about MMRA and they ask, Richie, is that not partly a chicken pox vaccination? MMRV. MMRV, yeah, excuse me, that's right. But the chicken pox vaccine, they're going to give two doses of it or offer it to parents, kids who are a year and older. Are you concerned about that? I'm very concerned. And I know that surprisingly, surprisingly because the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, the JCVI, they love vaccines. That's why there are so many more vaccines in the schedule uh, say when my children were born than when I was born, and so many more now, they're, they're in their 30s, how many more there are now, even in that short space of time. So when you see a vaccine that they didn't want to introduce, one of them was the meningococcal B vaccine, and one of them was the chickenpox vaccine, and another one was the hepatitis B vaccine, you, you have to think, how did they manage to change over eventually? And part of it is international pressure was because, for example, the World Health Organization has had as a policy that it wants the whole world vaccinated against hepatitis B. And so this country kept saying, well, it's not endemic and we don't need to have it and it's not a problem. We'll just vaccinate high risk people and health professionals. 
Um, and they have to now look at cost effectiveness. And then so what happened was they made the vaccine a bit cheaper by incorporating it. So it's a six in one, not on its own. And then they sort of said the price is right. And I just I, I think that uh, to say or I submit that the price is right is not a good reason for um, introducing a vaccine that's no. not going to help any small child and has large doses of aluminium. And they've done it now. They've done they've somehow made a new calculation to show the price is right. And they did it the same way as they uh, manipulated the figures in order to make it cost effective to introduce the rotavirus vaccine, which is that they'd already looked, they'd already seen it's a very mild disease. They already saw it didn't cause many problems. They already worried that if children didn't get it at the right time, there might be a problem with shingles later on. Um, and we actually have a shingles vaccine that we've been giving in the UK to people over the age of 70 or 75 since 200 and 2013. But then they asked the University of Bristol, um, where Adam Finn works. Now, Adam Finn has a long history in vaccinology, Professor Adam Finn, and he's on the Joint Committee of Vaccination and Immunisation. He's on in the European Medicines Agency's uh, committee. He's the chairman of the technical branch. And of course, he works for Merck and GSK. He does their vaccine trials for them. Evolving door. And, and so they went off to Bristol and they, and they decided that they couldn't just rely on hospital statistics and what we have from the Office for National Statistics. They'd have to look a lot more to find out really how bad chickenpox really was in terms of what they call qualies. Uh, which are uh, quality, oh, I can't what it is, something to do with quality of life things, and it's to do with taking time off work and not feeling very well and whatever. And so they did this. They did this study deliberately trying to look to show that chickenpox was really a lot worse than it was. And they found it, surprisingly. This is where common sense comes in, because you can make a scientific study show anything. And the common sense is that chickenpox is a mild illness. And the most important thing, which is why I repeat this lecture every four to five weeks, is how you manage fevers. But even when you don't manage the fevers properly, it's still a really, really mild disease. And if people manage the fevers properly, it would be an even more nothing disease. However, unlike all the other, most of the other childhood illnesses that we vaccinate against, where it's worse when you're a child, but if you're older, it's not so bad. So you're doing it for the child. Chickenpox is a nothing for children unless you happen to be immunocompromised. But if you get it as an adult, well, you can have a, a, a more severe version of it. If you get it in the first two months of pregnancy, because you're an adult and you haven't had proper chickenpox, um, you can actually uh, get a deformed baby. They call it chickenpox embryopathy. And if you if you have chickenpox, if you get it in when you're just about to deliver, your baby can be born with chickenpox, and that's got a 30% death rate. So it's really serious if you don't have chickenpox at the right time, uh, especially if you've already had your immune system tampered in terms of chickenpox. Because when you get chickenpox because you've never had it as a child for the first time as an adult, you're sort of a virgin still in terms of chickenpox. But if you've had the vaccine and you're a vaccine failure, your your whole ability to respond properly to the wild chickenpox has been tampered with. I didn't know that. That's that, that's fascinating. That is absolutely so. So the old way of doing it, which was to try and make sure as best as you could that the kid got chickenpox, to to this day you reckon would be should be the approach. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And in, in, interestingly, in 1995, a paper came out. It was published in the British uh, Medical Journal, and 
in 95. And despite what they said, one of the papers in, in the British Medical Journal was uh, the justification for universal chickenpox. Um, and this this uh, editorial was saying, no, we don't agree with that at all, um, because it's not good for the children who are immunized. Uh, and OK, it might be the immunization is supposed to be good for the children who are immunized, but it's not really because it's a nothing disease. It will help immunocompromised children, but most children aren't. And it's cost effective because fewer parents need to take time off work to look after them. And they said they didn't think that was a justification. And what they said, interestingly, because we've just been through COVID, is that they said that in order to justify it, you'd have to be doing it for the benefit of your immunocompromised classmates. My so God. you would have to ask parents to authorise immunisation of their children, not for the benefit of their children, but for the benefit of their less fortunate classmates, uh, yeah. which would said. risk a, a, an increased risk of worse primary chickenpox as adults. And they called it compulsory altruism. Now, do you know about altruism that we've just had in the last three years? No, not Doing really. stuff not for yourself, but for everybody else. So the, granny won't they, die. They told compulsory that to kids, yeah. altruism. And they said, as we don't compel adults to serve as kidney or even blood donors, it seems unfair to require children to be such splendid Samaritans. And it also contradicts the best interest of the child standard. Now, that's very interesting from 1995 when you see how much medicine has moved on particularly in the last three years where all these well-established principles have been thrown out of the window yeah this was the big thing wasn't it back in late 2020 this big discussion it was around about that time that we first met you when they yes. were when they were saying that children although extremely unlikely to be um to be to, to come down with serious covid they should have the jab because um, it'll protect others around them. And yeah. we talked at the time, and I heard from other doctors who said that this was anathema, really. I mean, this... this yes, th th absolutely. That's yeah. the word. Yeah, yeah. And would that be historically? That would be a historical medical principle, would it be? Not to ask somebody to take a medical intervention on behalf of somebody else. Exactly, 100%. And as, as, as they even pointed out, we don't compel adults to serve as kidney yeah. or even blood donors. Well, we certainly don't compel them to be blood donors, although now you have to opt out because you are automatically a kidney donor or organ donor unless you actually go online and opt out. And they're offering the HPV vaccine in this country and in Ireland to kids, um, to preteen kids, boys as well. And I've really looked into this over the years. You know, the odds against them, uh, the, you know, the whole promiscuity issue, which is an amazing thing. People never considered this really, you know. Um, yeah. You know, the fact that m many of us would have um, would have uh, human papillomavirus in our systems, maybe we might have it without knowing it. Is that right? Tell us, uh, what, what do uh, we know about this, Jane? This well, we know that, that human, human papilloma, um, about 90% of um, women get it and clear it uh, because yeah. it just happens. So if you never have sex with anyone, um, you won't ever get it. Uh, and so it's a sexually transmitted disease. And it seems so anti-common uh, sense, again, to, to, to want to introduce a vaccine for uh, the, the very small percentage of people who don't clear it, because you only have problems if whatever it is that's there, the changes don't clear. So shouldn't you be looking to see what it is that makes some people unable to clear it, yeah. rather than giving everybody a, a vaccine that only has a certain number of types of human papilloma variants in it, but also has DNA in it, also has... Uh, a very large number of adverse reactions, which if you look at what the JCVI are saying is, oh, it's, these, these are all, no, there's no 
good evidence. There's no compelling evidence. There's no credible evidence, meaning there is evidence, but we just don't choose to look at it. Well, I mean, no one's going to uh, when, you, when you could wear a condom, and, this, yeah. and you're talking about promiscuity, I can't believe that they're pushing the meningococcal vaccine to help protect you against gonorrhea, the meningococcal B vaccine. So the real name for the meningococcus is not meningococcus. It's Neisseria meningitidis. And the Neisseria is the same family as gonorrhea. It's Neisseria gonorrhea. And so apparently it reduces the uh, the occurrence by uh, about 40%. But they never talk about actual numbers. It's a bit like with the COVID thing. You know, they, they introduced turning test positive by 75%, but they didn't mention that whether you were vaccinated or not vaccinated, in either case, it was below 1%. <laughs> you know, yeah. and... And talking, and your point about promiscuity, why are we so worried about children and sexual promiscuity? Why do we think they need to be protected in the case of boys? They don't have a cervix, but it's supposed to reduce the likelihood of penile warts. So why are they worried about little boys and penile warts? And why are they worried about little boys and girls and gonorrhea? Is it part of this enormous sexualization that we're having uh, with children? Interesting. So... So maybe that they're pushing uh, children in the direction of... Well, we, we know... Well, Jesus, we know, don't we? We know in primary schools in this country and in Ireland that they're introducing kids to the concept of sex much earlier. Oh, and, very and early. Nothing to do with, oh, let's keep them a bit safe. They're talking about five and six-year-olds and, and talking to people about the concept that, you know, when you were born, your parents assigned your gender based yeah. on your external appearance, but inside you might yeah. feel different. What? Yeah, and books. We we saw a book, and it does exist. And I'm, I'm ashamed that I can't remember the name of it. But we did see a book, um, which was meant for late primary school kids, so kids ten or eleven years of age. Mm. And it did graphically describe different types of sexual intercourse, like anal sexual yeah. intercourse, and others. Yeah, well, and they don't need to know about that. No, and I wasn't talking to them about it from any health perspective. It was talking to them about it as well. This is kind of a thing that you do. This is actually yeah. a kind of a thing that people do. That's and right. And nothing about love, sacred, no. holy, uh, you know, uh, wait, partners in creation. Wait for the right person. Yeah. And that might Just sound about, ridiculously old-fashioned yeah. to some people. Some people listening to that might think, oh, that's ridiculously old-fashioned, Richie. But I would argue it isn't. I went to primary school in the 80s. I went to secondary school in the 90s, in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm. And it wasn't antiquated. I mean, we might have giggled at it. But when we had, um, we had pastoral care lessons and, you know, we, 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 you know, young men and women teaching us, and they would say, you know, it's great if you, if you wait for... Um, the person that you, you really love if you have that experience that, that first time whereas now it seems to have moved 180 degrees where they're talking about sex being a great and a very fun thing to very young children and you just do it and you yeah. just do it it's just something you do yeah like going off and getting a pizza yeah when we'll it isn't because because it has terribly negative um, implications Mental, and, of emotional course it does. effects it I does. don't know about boys but I know particularly with girls uh it has a big effect because girls are wired differently. If that first, you mean that's if that not first, supposed to be a truth either. Sorry, Jane. You mean if that first experience turns out to be a negative one, something regrettable? Well, it, it's just that women are designed to um, have sexual intercourse with somebody and then sort of like cling to them. You know, because um, we are designed, despite our contraception and everything else, to uh, get pregnant. And so women have it wired in that you find this person is going to be a good provider and uh, and then you 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 cling to them to a certain way 
and and we can push ourselves to try and be promiscuous and some people are but you often find that you often find that the more promiscuous people are it's because they can't find this thing that they're looking for because it's not all about a bit of vibration feminists would say hang on now dr jane dunnigan that's a very very old-fashioned way of looking at woman womanhood and a woman's place in the world um, women have moved on. We're not just, uh, you know, desperately, desperately need to be taken care of submissive, subservient woman who's going to bear children with the right guy. When yeah, well, say so that, we've had feminism and 100 percent women should have equal educational opportunities when they do the same job. They should get the same amount of money for what they're doing. It used to be if you joined the territorial army and went there on Wednesday evenings that if you were a boy, you'd got more than if you were a girl. I mean, how ridiculous is that? <laughs> But right. but what's happened? What's happened with feminism is they've made everything that's female be degraded. So having children's not a big deal. You're just a, like a you know a baby farm. Uh, what is a big deal is if you can be like a man, if you can be the head of a company, and not do and not be tied to the kitchen or anything like that. So what they've actually done is they've degraded all the things that are womenly, and so they don't count at all. And so women, instead of getting to have it all, have got to do it all. What we do now is we do the jobs, we pay the mortgage, we bring up the children, all on our own, and we pay for everything. Unless you're lucky enough to be in a nice marriage with somebody who's going to help you along that pathway. So it hasn't helped, I don't think, women at all. It's helped them so that they, they're not, the children do not belong to their husband and that their um, dowry once they're married, becomes their husbands. We had to do some things about that. But what they've done is they've just made it much more difficult for women and not respected anything. And if you look after your own children, that's not a job unless you're looking after somebody else's children and you're getting paid for it. So how is that feminism? I read studies by Trinity College Dublin. This is over the years now, because I used when I did when I did commercial radio, when people used to have debates. Remember debates, Jane, when people didn't mind coming on radio with people yes. they didn't agree with? They were fabulous things. <laughs> yes. and, I, and I used to have feminists. In fact, somebody called Victoria Smurthwaite, who wouldn't come on with me now, but used to come on with me years ago when I was on the radio in Spain. And would quite happily, she's a feminist. She might be described as a radical feminist. And I would have her yes. on one line, and on the other line, I would have a very intelligent, very articulate woman who would say... You know what, Victoria, I really do believe that for the best outcome for the child, mum needs to be around for those development years. Mum needs to be there. And they would have these great back and forths about that. And I looked into all these studies. Stanford did a study in America. I think it's in Connecticut. It's Stanford. I could be wrong. Uh, so you had TCD in Dublin. I know King's College in London did a study, as best as they could determine anyway, that where mum is present and mum is not doing the high-power corporate job while nanny looks after the kid, where mum is yes. present, those kids wait for it. Everybody waits. Everybody expects you to say, oh, the kids turn out to be more intelligent. No, no. The kids turn out, they might be. The kids turn out to be much more healthy as they grow into their teenage years. If mum is around, yes. the children have better health outcomes. And that, that's been proven through any number of studies. So And emotionally, they tend to be, they tend to be less people. aggressive. Better people, yeah, yeah. as well. Yes. It's, it's not surprising. And so being a mother doesn't mean you sit there all day watching daytime TV and then you open a can of beans or, well, actually beans are quite good for you, but, you know, you put your microwave dinner in. Yeah. Women used to be the people who uh, they reared the children, they grew the herbs, they ran the dairy, they wove, they knitted, they clothed their family. You know, it, it wasn't just sitting around doing nothing and they did it in companionship with someone who did something, who did more other things. I'm not saying you should be stuck with what is it, Kicher, Kirk, Kirche, 
and Kucha. Yes. Kinder, Kirche and Kucha, children, yeah, yeah. church and, uh, and kitchen, like the Nazis wanted. But, you know, they're, they're, women are natural healers. They're, women are natural teachers. They used to teach their children. But now we've got professionals to do all those things. And as well as that, women were amazing treasurers and managers of money. I don't say this yes. for a giggle either. Every Because I grew up in Ballybeg in Waterford in the 70s and early 80s. Men went to work in companies. There was a big industrial estate there and Waterford Crystal, which is where my yes. uh, father and uncles worked. They came in and handed the wage packet over on a Thursday in a brown envelope and yes. were given an allowance out of it. That's not a joke. Yeah. You know, yeah, because no, it's definitely not. And those were the happy families because the ones where they didn't do that, he'd go and drink it quite and often. And gamble it away. On Thursday night. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was a lot wrong with my father, which I'm not going to get into here, a lot wrong with him. But he didn't do that. He handed it up and she yeah. then allocated what needed to be paid here, there and everywhere. And she kept the purse. She was the purser as well as raising the kids. Yeah. And as you said, she wasn't sitting around watching sons and daughters and right. neighbours every 20 minutes. Fascinating this, isn't it? And do you think yeah. this is a real problem now that, that like, with, with boys and girls, that, you know, you don't want to tell anybody how they should live their lives, but do you think it's a big problem that this, um, that, that, you know, girls would not be made aware that this is another possibility, you know? Well, it's the sort of thing that not very clever girls are thought to do, or girls who don't have proper brains, or girls who yeah. really don't have much oomph, you know, the ones who just dream about getting married to somebody. But in fact, that's what we've been doing for the whole of creation. And yes, it has got messed up sometimes with, you know, as I said, in Victorian times, that oh, you wouldn't own anything of your own because you'd either belong to your father or your husband. And those things need to be regularized. Um, but but there is a difference between men and women. And we, we talk about what is it? The cis male heteronormative white <laughs> patriarchal <laughs> oppression. I've been learning it. Um, and. I can't think of anything worse than actually having a cis, normal, uh, white, matriarchal, heteronormative oppression. Because if the world were run by women, you know, men men have this decisive action. They can decide to do things. And women, we spend the whole time talking about this idea and that side and the other side. And, and we need both of them to match up. That's why we have two different people. In fact, if you want to get biblical, uh, the original human, Adam, was supposed to be made as both. And then woman was taken from him. And so one of the ideas, certainly in Judaism, is you spend all this time trying to find your other half because you got taken from them to be put back together again. And that's why the, the, the sum is greater than the, the, the parts. I've got one question for you before we run out of time. It's great having you on, you know that. I don't say this to every guest I have. I, I don't, actually. I always thank them, but I love having you on because I could listen to you all day, Jane, and I do really mean that. So well, please I, take I, it as it, given. You, that you I mean can't this. have a proper interview if you don't know a lot about things yourself and you have a, a wide range of knowledge about uh, all sorts of subjects. Gleaned, gleaned from people like you. Uh, there's no two ways about that. I wanted to ask you... Um, would you, over the years, have treated people with gender dysphoria in your practice? And if you have done, um, that will give you a bit of an insight into what's going on at the moment. Because I don't believe that all of a sudden we have had this huge drastic increase in people who are uncomfortable in their own skins and believe they're in the wrong body. I think there's something else going on. But would you have treated, we've got about six minutes left, well, gender well, dysphoria? In terms of treated, I haven't. I've got a few patients that are trans. Yeah, uh, but, but but what I've seen is that you know there was uh, anorexia, all these young girls got anorexia, and then there was either before or after there was slitting her wrists and self harm, and now we've got you want to change gender because historically it was always men wanting to become 
women. Yeah. It's, it's this new sudden onset one is, is completely different to everything else because it's suddenly being girls wanting to be boys. And that's completely new. And so I think it's, I think it's a, a trend. I think it's a pernicious trend. Uh, and I think whatever it, it was, it wouldn't be so bad if it weren't the fact for the fact that now there's so much sort of legislation and guidance in place where along with every other part of your child's life, parents are being excluded from your, their children's lives. Yeah, schools are doing terrible things, aren't they? Yeah. They're withholding yeah. information from parents. Yeah. And, and in America, right. it's on steroids. They've done it a, a lot, lot more. Uh, so, so, and whatever they do in America, we do not too far afterwards. If they catch a cold, yeah. yeah or if they sneeze, sneeze we out. Yeah, we did, I've got that the wrong way around. Uh, Jane's website, by the way, jane-dunnigan.co.uk. Thanks for coming on, Jane, and giving us your time. I do pleasure. mean it when I say I love it. So don't wait to be asked back. Um, lobby me when you want to come on and have. We still have to talk about come dancing. We do. We we haven't. We haven't. We haven't which is something anyway. I, I do confess I don't actually watch. It's one of. No, well I don't a, have a TV, so I don't. You watch don't it have either. a telly. That's right. Yeah, and you've never on that because that's a nice way to finish. I mean, when you ditched the telly, because I look, I'm going to. I I love my sports. I, I do like watching a bit of sport on TV, and I do like the occasional documentary. There's a great documentary on Sky at the moment about Lockerbie featuring Dr. Jim Swire, and I I've interviewed Jim a few times over the years. Mm. I'm hoping to get him back on, so I, I recommend that. But you never look back, Jane. No, when you ditch the TV, never. No, no, no. There was one time when the children were young, and I wanted them to be able to see. Um, uh, I wanted them to be able to see The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins. So at that time, I got a TV, one of the old ones, and I got the man at the shop to take the tube out. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to pay for a TV licence because it couldn't receive broadcast. Amazing. And we could just play the video. So you, you hooked up, was it a Betamax? You're not that old. It wasn't a Betamax, was it? It was those a VHS. Were, yeah, those were, those were, yeah, those were the old proper, you know, videos. Yeah. Uh, 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 it wasn't Betamax, it was the other ones, not Fer the only ones. VH, VHS. VHS, and it probably would have been a Ferguson, a big, massive, top-loading VHS, massive thing. Yeah, yeah, it was very big, yeah, and a, and a big, big TV. I came from a dodgy... I, I, another time I'll tell you the stories of the TV licence men who, who, who have come to my house. <laughs> I think there might be a few of them still there in the cellar. I love it. I get wandering the, around. I love it. I get the letters. <laughs> we get. We do have a telly, but we don't have a license. We we get the letters, and it's just on general principle. If they're going to yeah. tell lies, we're not going to pay for it. It's as simple as that. If you're not going to yeah. give a balanced view of what's going on, why should anybody pay for it? Well, Jane, I'm not funding the BBC. No, and neither am I. Jane, thanks so much again for today. It's an absolute blessing having you on. I really mean that. Thanks a lot, and I look forward to next God time. Bless. God bless. Bye for now. The amazing Dr. Jane Dunnigan, live on Monday's Richie Allen show. As I said, check out Jane. Check her out at jane-dunnigan.co.uk. Remarkable lady. Lovely to have her on the programme today. We're nearly done. We're nearly bloody well done. Um, that was a, a quick hour, that it must be said. Uh, just to confirm that Qatar has said Israel and Hamas have agreed to another extension, so a two-day extension to the current truce, which has seen hostages freed and Palestinian prisoners released. Um, so that's a good thing, regardless of what you think about that situation in that part of the world. It's a good bloody thing. When you hear about the damage, the carnage, the loss of life in Gaza and so many thousands of children killed, it is a good thing. I want, I want to give a plug to the papers. By the way, the, there is a podcast now. It's been on a couple of weeks or more. I do a podcast early in the AM where I basically leaf through, I leaf through the British daily newspapers and chat about some of the stories inside. Look at the front pages. That's called 
called The Papers, and you can get that, or, or you can download that wherever you happen to get your podcast from, so it's pretty much everywhere. Have I missed any messages? There's been lots of them. Paula says, I agree with Jane. Our overlords have wanted rid of the family, all part of the plan. Thanks so much for that, Paula. Will B says, I think it's environmental factors, Richie, changing us hormonally. Maybe birth control pills in wastewater. That's an interesting comment, Will B. We we, we heard over the years on this programme that, um, you know, sex hormones and female hormones in, in the water supply might be... It might go some way to explaining um, more a prevalence of more effeminate men. Could could that be true as well? I don't know. Maybe that's something I should get some comment on on the program. Maybe it's something I should definitely get uh, some comment on on this particular program. Uh, hi to Chris who says Richie. All my elderly clients that had the jab and are still alive are now suffering with painful shingles. Uh, good for the emollient cream manufacturers, women of childbearing age, and especially if they are pregnant, are advised to avoid someone with shingles. And he says, remind me, what is the demographic of the staff in most care homes? I'd say you've got more women than men working in care homes. Uh, I, I will give you that, Chris. Thank you for that. That is it then for Monday's programme. Thank you so much uh, for listening to it. As I have already said, but I'll say it again, uh, the Papers podcast will be online very early in the AM. Do download it and do pass it on to others. I'm going to go back into the comments briefly. I know I'm a terrible tease because I, I, I solicit the comments and then you'll say to me, Richie, you know, you don't read them, but I've been reading lots of them today. Uh, hi to Diane. How are you, Diane? Diane says, Richie, the good doctor is only right. This is a trend. Uh, Craig says, girls wanting to be boys, much like the ladette culture of the 1990s was accused of. Remember all of that? Remember girl power? Remember when the, when the Spice Girls first came out? You had, I don't know, it could have been bullshit. The tabloids were reporting of young girls karate kicking boys in playgrounds and stuff like that. I don't know too much more about that. Right, that's it. I've got to go and leave you with the bangles. It has been a crazy Monday for me. See you tomorrow. Until then, thanks to Dr. Jane Dunnigan and thanks again to Ben Gilroy for coming on earlier on just before he boarded a plane for JFK Airport in New York. That was nice of him, wasn't it?